This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 19th of March 2019, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my roving reporter co-host, <laughs> Jon. Yes, I'm on assignment this time. I'm uh, on location, sunny Barcelona, looking out of my hotel room over the beautiful blue sea. Not much of a beach, though, Very but uh, oh well, it's what you can get, right? Never mind. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and so, of course, you are at the DataWorks Summit, and uh, yes. this is therefore our uh, our week in review, or session in review, or days in review. I don't know. Uh, well, I would say vacation review, but my boss may be listening, so let's call it <laughs> <laughs> something else. <laughs> Conference review. Anyway, yeah. it, this is yeah. this is for those that have been following us for a little while. Um, we typically will do these kind of sessions at the end of each day. Um, a bit of a change up of format for for reasons that will become clear later. Um, oh. But for now, just uh, <laughs> stick with us. And Jon is on assignment and uh, taking care of the sessions himself. And uh, therefore, I get to play the role of a uh, person back in the studio asking uh, clarifying questions. <laughs> oh, so I don't have to be creative at all. I just have to wait for you to ask smart questions and make me look good. Yes. I love this already. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if you want to sound smart, you may want to actually be smart. But hey, oh, was, anyway, I, let's try that. I was that. afraid you were going to say I was going to have to shut up for that. So it went, <laughs> that would it be went a right very, way. very short interview if that was the case, <laughs> which we're not very good at doing short at the best of times. So let's uh, let's kick into it. Give us a, give us an initial kind of intro. How's it been? Um, what's it been about? Uh, well, the venue was uh, pretty good. I, I think I liked Berlin better last year. This uh, Barcelona mm-hmm. was a bit less uh, practical, let's say. But, I mean, that's not really why we do these, this kind of stuff. Uh, the main topic of the whole conference, obviously, was the uh, p- uh, post-merger new Cloudera company and what was happening with the technology, obviously. Uh, so the uh, Cloudera data platform has now officially been announced. There was already had been some webinars going out, but uh, they gave us a little bit more information on that. And a lot of the talks were actually also about, maybe not specifically that subject, but uh, how does the, that will affect the different projects that comprise or are in this big uh, big data environment. So mm-hmm. that uh, was the biggest thing. It's, it, it was very strange, I must admit, to see a DataWorks Summit and not having Hortonworks booth to go to. I mean, the people are still there. I could still say hi to all my old friends there. But it was it felt a bit <laughs> weird. <laughs> people are such habit, uh, habit animals, right? Yeah, very true. But, uh, well, maybe if you don't want to make this too long, let's uh, move into the keynotes, because basically yeah. that's also what the keynotes were about, of course. Uh, the first keynote of the first day started with uh, people from the new Cloudera company. I'm going to stop saying new Cloudera company. I'm just going to call it Cloudera, meaning the new amalgam of the, the two companies. So yep. um, them being on stage and uh, Mick Hollinson, a marketing guy from Cloudera, uh, VP marketing or something like that, I think. Um, he did a little chat about why they did this, how they did this, and stuff like that. Now, not much new was said there, to be honest. A uh, couple of highlights, perhaps, is uh, you will be very impressed that the uh, new oil analogy was not absent. Ugh. <laughs> 
uh, sorry, sorry, people, I had I had to say that. But uh, anyway, they have a new mission statement, they have a new logo, that's all great. But one of the good things that I heard was the fact that the new uh, distribution will be 100% open source. So they were comparing the uh, legacy Hortonworks being 100% open source and legacy Cloudera being uh, open core, as they said it. And they have apparently uh, decided to make the whole new thing uh 100% open source. Now, I'm pretty sure, and I was already, uh, you could hear the between the, the lines, let's say, that there will be, uh, how you say this, uh, higher level applications on top of the whole thing that will still be a licensed or paid for add-on product. But uh, something like uh, Cloudera Manager, which always was a paid component, is actually going to be fully open source. That uh, has been confirmed. Big so, news, uh, big changes. Um, yeah, I mean, it does mean that it's not just the old Cloudera taking over. It, it is actually a new company. That's for me, is a very uh, encouraging sign, let's say. Mm-hmm. So that was that. Um, he, they did make the huge mistake of having a video demo, which is always boring to look at. I mean, give me a YouTube link and I'll be much happier with that. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, oh, well, I guess some people were impressed. But uh, it was actually a demo on uh, NiFi. Mm-hmm. Because the Cloudera data flows, it's called now, is uh, quite new for Cloudera, of course. And uh, actually, one of the sessions I went to was a NiFi session. And some people are actually worried, okay, what's happening with NiFi now in a new company? And uh, there as well has been a lot of uh, reassurances. NiFi is here to stay. They've got more people, more budget. So... NiFi is definitely not going anywhere, which uh, which is a, a good news. I mean, we're both NiFi fanboys, are we not? Very much so. So that's a good news. Apart from that, we had some timings. Uh, that's also interesting, of course. Uh, the new CDP, Cloudera Data Platform, will be released on public cloud first, both on mm-hmm. Amazon and Azure. And that will happen. The dates are now uh, half year, so they had June on the slide on a certain slide here and there. So by the summer, we should have this already on uh, the clouds. Now they didn't really say much about the maturity level of the thing. They did say it was going to be a first release. So I'm hesitant to say that it's going to be a full production ready deploy and go kind of solution but uh, it is very short time I mean they've only given themselves six months to have a GA release of the new uh, combined product let's say which is uh, quite ambitious I'd say Mm -hmm. yeah but what about um, I know they mentioned or it sounds like they mentioned AWS and Azure and you mentioned Mm -hmm. GCP uh, at a later date and not uh, no dates for that yet so they're going for the big two clouds first and then yeah. they mentioned uh, Google and IBM cloud uh, to be yeah. uh, the next targets let's say which uh, kind of surprised me a little bit because IBM is the main sponsor of the event and has uh, has really been put forward as the, the the best partner of the moment for the for Cloudera so having the, the solution later on the IBM uh, cloud I guess it's a thing of uh, demand right I mean most of the customers yeah. Are going to be either on prem or in one of the big clouds, and well, as a as a normal commercial company, that's where you have to go first, right? Yeah. Uh, talking about on premise, so uh, by summer, somehow somewhere on public clouds, and by end of year, they'll have a snapshot release for on premise releases, which will be either private cloud or 
uh, on hardware, on bare metal, whatever you want to have there. Yeah. They were talking about a bit of a strange release cadence. I think it's strange at least, where they would have a, a kind of a monthly release on the public clouds, and then every six or so months, uh, take that together, build a distribution for on-premise release. But they also say that they want to work in the hybrid cloud and keep it always in sync and be able to communicate with each other, which for me means that those incremental changes on the public cloud can never be really majorly different from the last six months release or else you will break that hybrid uh, intercommunication. But it all depends on how interlocked you see that hybrid cloud. If it's just about, okay, you can put your data and you will have Hive, you will have Spark. Yeah, that's easy enough. But if you really want to have library equivalency between the two, they're going to have to yeah, hold back then on the, on the public cloud releases. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting challenge because as soon as you start to do anything different from one platform to the other, it, it means that your you know your testing goes through the roof in terms yeah. of interoperability, yeah, yeah, regression testing, change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and again, this is new for them as well. Uh, and of course, yeah. don't forget they will keep on uh, uh, supporting HTTP for another three years. They did say that first you'll have some some releases, second year probably some bug fixes, third third year probably only security fixes anymore. Understandable, but they'll have mm-hmm. HTTP to maintain the same thing for CDH and the new CDP. So. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not jealous of the DevOps guys there. <laughs> well, so I, I would, I would think that there is very likely to be, you know, there will continue to be some features rolled in. But I mean, let's not let's not kid ourselves. The majority of the focus will be on the new platform. I think it's. I think it's fair to say. I can't imagine. You know, it will be very much sustaining slash keeping the lights on, you know, for the existing platform's support. Um, Which is important. Yeah, yeah, it is important, especially as there's no, sounds like there's no on-prem release um, until the end of the year. So there's, Mm -hmm. you know, people are still going to want to to run those platforms and continue to see them at least to move forward a little bit. But uh, yeah, we will see. Yeah, uh, they did also share a little bit about uh, components, uh, not really the zoo animals, but more of the, the a bit of a higher level abstraction in there. And one thing that became very obvious, I think, although they didn't really talk about it, is that everything's going to be running in uh, Kubernetes uh, Docker containers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really feels like Yarn is no longer part of this thing. Uh, from a make once run everywhere kind of point, okay, I guess Kubernetes isn't bad. Don't really see why Yarn couldn't do that too. But there does, uh, there's a feel. I kind of feel that there has been a decision where a year ago there was a lot of talk of having uh, Kubernetes containers running on top of Yarn and have that way uh, the possibility to have TensorFlow and whatever deep learning and web front ends running. It really sounded now that uh, Kubernetes is going to be a much bigger part of the of the pie. They're a bigger bigger part of the orchestration. Yep. Which, uh, Which certainly makes sense from a from an adoption perspective. 
Yeah, but uh, the thing I'm thinking of a bit about there is uh, remember the first iterations of Cloudbreak, which was totally Docker containered. And uh, sorry if I say something bad here, but it, it didn't work well at all. Uh, networking was a disaster. It only became a really very fun product, Cloudbreak, once they went for bare metal. And now they're kind of going to go back the other way. No, it is a different uh, orchestrator, because in those days, I think that was pure Docker containers with no real orchestration, maybe Mesos or something. That wasn't much anyway. And now they do have Kubernetes, which is a, well, a, a mature orchestration uh, layer. So, um, but uh, let's see. Let's say I, I'm going to wait uh, <laughs> till I see how well this works before I do any uh, judgment on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, apart from that, uh, not much. Not much news. Uh, I mean, you had the normal things I already said in the webinars as well. They talked a little bit about the new trainings and enablement and certifications you can do for the new uh, CDP, which is uh, great, of course. We all love certifications. Uh, they've all. They also got a new uh, Rolling Stones music uh, to to their little new. Uh, what you call the marketing movies? About something about talking about cloud, which was a bit of a. I don't know. I didn't really like the music, but it's Rolling Stones, so it can't be bad, I guess. But uh, that was pretty much all for the first part of the um, uh, keynote of the first day. Uh, yeah. They were followed by a second keynote, I think, from IBM, yes. And after that, there was a keynote from uh, people from... Was pure, storage? pure Storage. Was it Pure Storage? Uh, yeah. Somebody else. But uh, from what Commerce I'm saying... Bank? Uh, yes, Commerce Bank, that was it. But from what you can hear is, uh, I didn't hear those. And why will become clear later in this... <laughs> In this episode. Fair enough. And <laughs> because of that reason, we're going to jump to uh, day two keynotes. Yes, day two keynotes. And those I did all follow uh, faithfully for our listeners. I did not skip out on those at all. Uh, also, primarily because I was more interested in the, in, the, in the subject matter, to be honest. Because the first one was by Hilary Mason, uh, mm-hmm. who's a, who came from the Fast Forward Labs, who were purchased by Cloudera, I don't know, about six, eight months ago or something like that, about uh, their um, AI roadmap, their AI vision, what they want to do around AI. No, sadly, not unexpected. It was a very high-level talk. They didn't go into any any much any kind of depth, or there wasn't any roadmap in there either. The big thing is about making AI boring and uh, industrializing AI. And the thing, what I mean by that is that uh, they see that AI at the moment is being used in companies in silos and small pockets within organizations because it's still yeah. a pretty tough thing to do if you want to do it well. And particularly if you're talking about deep learning, machine learning gets a little bit more traction these days, but still that's pretty siloed. And uh, they see it as a mission statement to have uh, AI and deep learning pervasive throughout the whole company. You shouldn't have any team without an AI guy in there. 
and the whole talk was kind of building towards the uh, Cloudera Data Science Workbench, which is the Cloudera product that is a kind of front end which you can kind of compare to, I don't know, notebooks uh, with Databricks-ish front end with a model management uh, uh, layer on top of that and also a deployment thing. So looking at the tool, it looked kind of nice. I haven't really played with it myself too much, but I can really see that other people can use it too. Uh, it's just a question of how does it fit in your entire company, because the disadvantage of having a, a tool like this, I think, from a single company is that it will never cover more than their own product base. And these days, in my opinion, if you're looking at data lakes, five years ago, your data lake was your Hadoop cluster. That is no longer true these days. Your data lake also encompasses uh, cloud storage, uh, data warehouses even, anything anything that can actually store or compute on your data. So uh, I would have to play with the tool to see how, um, how can you say that, how, how, how you could really apply it everywhere and how open it is. But um, how, how pluggable the architecture is to allow yeah. you to bring in things that are not native exactly. to it. Because yeah. uh, I mean, one of the good things is that they have their governance in that tool as well. You can really figure out what you what you were doing there. But again, governance and lineage only works if you have it end to end across the whole company. You can't yep. do full governance on every little point solution because then you still have a, a swamp of nothing. Um, but anyway, going further through there, there was some more yeah talk about those things. I'm just scanning through my notes here to see if there's anything particular I put down but uh, nope uh, that's about it uh, there are uh, they did announce a new uh, experience uh, the new CDP will have experience on the top level and that's I think the part that will be either licensed or more as a service kind of thing and mm-hmm. they've announced MLX for CDP so the ML experience for Cloudera data platform which will be cloud native uh, and they actually had a uh, phrase there no spark clusters to manage which I think is uh, interesting I'll see how that works <laughs> yeah clearly a shot across the bow there <laughs> yeah because they're talking serverless compute here and I don't think the world is ready. I'm not going to say it's not ready for that, but uh, has achieved that today. But uh, I guess we'll see in about uh, three to four months' time uh, how this uh, actually plays out. And um, yeah, that's about all I have to say for that uh, keynote. The next keynote after that was more business-oriented, was Airbus, uh, who uh, Mm -hmm. talked about what they were doing. Uh, 50% was a, a great talk actually about how they were doing the real digital transformation buzzword bingo achieved uh, where they were <laughs> where they were really trying to move away from building planes or no not sorry moving away from selling airplanes and mm-hmm. satellites and drones and whatever but more becoming a data company where they kind of keep the planes for themselves and have people buy the data generated by those planes. Now, obviously, they're not talking about passenger airplanes there. I mean, every British Airways, KLM, they will still need planes to fly the the passengers around. But they also have a big uh, thing with satellites, a big uh, product uh, product group that does satellite imaging and stuff like that. And what they're trying to do now, or what they're building now, is a kind of data service where people can just... 
buy satellite data from Airbus to do stuff. And one of the examples he gave was with the uh, forest fires we had in the in California regularly, I guess, mm-hmm. sadly enough, where they actually used their imagery to see which houses were affected by uh, fires and not. And this was both used by uh, emergency services to find out where to go and how to get there safely, <laughs> and by insurance yeah. companies to see where they would yeah start uh, losing money, I guess. <laughs> Uh, they did have a little bit of a, a dark side there as well, because one of the things they talked about was the Zephyr, Zephyr solar plane, which is a unmanned automated plane with solar power that has a record now of 25 days in the air at 21 kilometers height, uh, being able to see and record everything so that they could give that information to the firefighters and the insurance companies. But uh, it, it sounded a little bit uh, let's uh, surveil everything all the time forever now so <laughs> well, well you know that works. 1984 <laughs> welcome you've arrived uh, oh we've been long past that I think uh, true enough true enough but uh, that was the first part it was uh, very nice and then it kind of devolved a little bit in a uh, we're hiring uh, talk because they actually were sponsoring the lunch as well so if if you're looking for a job in data science uh, you should know Airbus is hiring and you should talk to them <laughs> okay <laughs> No nope. hard sell there by the sounds of things. Um, not not really. It's just it, uh, usually you have these sessions where at the end there's a slide we're hiring and that's about it. And it's become a little bit of a joke to be honest. If you don't have that yeah. slide, you're doing it wrong. Uh, this was a really serious recruitment drive at a certain point. I felt so. Uh, oh well. I hope they have a successful uh, luncheon on that thing. I didn't join there, I must say, uh, just in case my boss is listening. Um, so, But anyway, Airbus is hiring, and I guess there are worse places to work, because I do think they those guys have data. Indeed, certainly sounds like it. <laughs> Final part of the keynotes, and the thing that you, of course, have missed uh, most is the futurist. Uh, DataWorks summits always have futurists to talk about uh, the bad things that will happen with big data and artificial <laughs> intelligence. <laughs> Uh, this one was not the best ever, but definitely also not the worst ever. One thing was the the lady was talking so fast, and I don't think she take she took a single breath while she was talking. It was very hard to to keep up. <laughs> wow! But she filled her time, so it's not like she raffled through it. That was that's just how she does her thing, and it was quite interesting to hear. And she was talking on a couple of aspects. One being avatars, where uh, not today, but soon we would all have a AI-steered avatar that will replace us in day-to-day conversations. We would send the avatar to job interviews and have the avatar come back with the good options and so we can make the choice. And I had to think, I mean, a couple of years ago, I predicted we're going to have chatbots everywhere. I thought I was bad. Okay, this is worse. We'll have avatars everywhere and we will just be sleeping all the time. <laughs> <laughs> The seri- uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not on board with this. <laughs> no, but this was a bit tongue in cheek, of course. The thing, the the point she was trying to make was the 
what happens when you die? You, you, you're leaving behind your estate, your, your, your money, your houses, your, your family, but you're also leaving behind your information estate. And it has been, it's happened already that in, at Hollywood, there have dead actors doing roles, being cast in roles by having 3D scanned models and everything. We have artists, music artists that release new work 10 years after they're dead because artificial intelligence models have prepared new kinds of songs that are in their vein, I guess. Is this allowed? Should we do something with that? Because if these avatars would ever become true, if we die, does our avatar continue to live? Do we kill him? (laughs) (laughs) Do we pull the plug? (laughs) Exactly. So it's a bit of a uh, moral story there, of course. So that was uh, fun. Also talking about uh, probably when we when we get born, we'll have a baby avatar that's not very smart, but grows up with us, knows us intimately, and then that way can guide us through life and everything. So uh, that was uh, interesting, all of that. And uh, another thing she talked about was the fact that, okay, Skynet, the real intelligent AI, is still very far away. But we have so many partial AIs that do some stuff very well that people often get the impression that Skynet is already here, that we already have this real, real intelligent AI, which is not the case. But by having all of this Alexa that can turn on the light for you, but Alexa doesn't know what a light is, it doesn't even know what the verb turn on means. It just <laughs> does that in a smart way, but experiencely, it feels like it's a smart thing. So that was also a little bit of the story there. Fair enough. Second part, you talked about uh, genetics and how that will also become more um, pervasive and everything. You go to the restaurant to order your Wagyu beef, you'll be able to take your little smartphone adapter, check the beef and tell the chef, I want a real one, not this fake stuff. So that was uh, another thing, which was totally different from the first part of it, which I like a little better, but uh, still interesting stuff. Uh, primarily, she mentioned this, I think, because she uh, has a project at the Oxford University, and they built a very small uh, genetic sequencer, mm-hmm. and uh, well, it's, it's a nice thing. And the third part of her talk, uh, as I said, she talked a lot, <laughs> was about the, how she call that... Um, she had a nice word for that the infinity machines and that was actually quantum computing well I do know quite a bit about quantum computing from my own personal uh, uh, inquisitiveness and this was very high level Um, I did miss a couple of things there and it's always bad to listen to a futurist when you know more about the underlying things of the topic than the futurist does so I'm not going to comment too much on that all of this stuff, I think, was uh, videotaped and should be appearing on a YouTube channel near you soon. So um, this is definitely one. Again, it wasn't the greatest one I've ever seen, but it was definitely worth uh, attending and uh, worth replaying and watching if uh, you like that kind of thing. Fair enough. So overall, keynotes, scores out of 10? Uh, second your, day was better than the first key- day. How, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. And uh, I would experience have, was satisfied then. Um, well, uh, the the first day I would have hoped more in depth information from the uh, Cloudera people about what they're going to do because it, it, it still remained very high level. They they let yeah. loose a couple more nuggets, but it's such a, if you're in this space, it's such an important shift that's going on there. Everybody was on the edge of their seat. 
and it didn't really deliver what most people wanted there because what I want to know basically is, okay, CDP, what version of Spark, what version of Hive, what version of Impala, what version of Ambari, what version of whatever, so I can prepare myself. And they didn't uh, really uh, release anything like that. Yeah. That being said, it was a generic, a, gen, a general keynote for business and tech people together. And I'm a tech person, so my expectations are te- typically not the ones that the majority yeah. of the business of the, the the people there want. Because one generic uh, remark, perhaps about uh, the summit itself, is that it has shifted further towards the business perspective. We already mentioned mm-hmm. this in our preview show. Yeah, uh, they have yeah. gone further into the business and a bit less in the technology part. So that has, uh, yeah, I guess this is a consequence of it. I can still remember the first uh, Hadoop Summit. It was still called then. I attended. The keynotes were very technical then. Yeah. Far cry from today. <laughs> the world is doomed, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> well, more things more things change. That's just the way it happens. Hey, the more they change, the more they say the same. I mean, it's all the new oil, man. Oh, God, stop. <laughs> stop. Anyway, moving on. So, day one... Um, the the sessions. What was well, your before uh, we go to the sessions? I'm gonna explain the reason why I didn't attend the full first day keynotes, and that mm-hmm. was because I met uh, John Murtick from the Linux Foundation uh, at that point in time, and he had uh, some uh, interesting stuff to talk about regarding governance, lineage, and uh, in particular Apache Algeria and whatever's happening in that space there. So we kind of did an impromptu little interview there about uh, 20-25 minutes of content and uh, I think it would be a good idea to just uh, give my voice a little rest at the moment and have John Murtick do a bit, bit of talking if that's okay with you. Sounds good to me. Let's uh, let's hear what John has to say. Let's see what he has to say and uh, we'll be back after this. Uh, uh, it's not a public notice but... Uh... <laughs> Message from our sponsors. We don't have sponsors. <laughs> Oh, well, he did get... No, he didn't. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what he gave me. Anyway, we'll be back uh, after this interview with John Murtick from the Linux Foundation. All right, we're at the Dataworks Summit today in Barcelona, sunny Barcelona, actually, and we just bumped into John Murtick. He's, I would say, almost a regular on the show by now. (laughs) But uh, how are you doing, John? What are you doing here? I, I'm. It's it's wonderful to be in sunny Barcelona here, and I'm thrilled to achieve the regular status. I guess that's what <laughs> happens when you hit the hat trick of appearances, right? Uh, is it only a hat trick? Because I think we had you on about four times, and hat trick is three, right? Because you were on the anniversary show as well. I forget the anniversary show all the time. You're right. I have passed the hat trick point, so now I've become. Once, so the next step past hat trick is regular. Is is what I'm. Sounds good for me. I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> fair enough, fair, fair enough. No, no, it's great. Um, here at Dataworks Summit, really uh, excited to see the new Cloudera coming together um, and some of the announcements that have coming here. So I'm just kind of taking it in just as much as everyone else. Um, and on top of that, uh, you know, talking about what's going on with ODPI these days. So uh, for the new listeners in our podcast, we all keep getting new listeners all the time. Uh, can you introduce a little bit yourself, uh, what you're doing with the Linux Foundation? But I looked at your LinkedIn profile and you have a whole lot of stuff on there. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, I work at the Linux Foundation and my role there is um, overseeing a number of our uh, projects, um, ODPI, Open Mainframe, I work with our consortium. I've been working with uh, a number of others. I mean, my career background is in open source. I've been doing it my entire career from 
contributor to community leader and now um, and my role in the Linux Foundation is is helping drive these foundations uh, forward that we're investing in. All right, but uh, you wanted to talk about us about something specific here, right? Oh yeah, so we have um, we've done some really great progress lately with one of the flagship projects we have out of ODPI um, called Ageria, and I think you've had Mandy Chessel on the podcast before. Um, so you've got a little bit of a update. You kind of understand what that technology is all about. Um, and the exciting thing for us is that technology has got to the point where it's starting to get into enterprise products. Um, and we put together a conformance program to help uh, define that. Um, so we're really excited that, you know, we're starting to see that an open source project created is now starting to get, you know, uptick and people are starting to actually take this to market. Yeah, because, I mean, tell us a little bit what Egeria actually does, because a lot of people have probably heard about Apache Atlas, yeah. which was a bit of the precursor, perhaps, or a split off. of How does this Egeria Atlas relationship kind of work? Sure. So Egeria really focuses on building an, uh, an open metadata standard um, for how um, not only um, one would consume metadata within like a BI um, tool, um, but it also provides a standard for metadata repositories to communicate with one another. So like if you go back in the, the annals of data governance and data management history, and this is long before big data, but you know, back in relational database worlds, metadata has always existed. But it's always been very tied to the data store that actually um, is out there, whether that is a line of business application or a database server or something like that. And a big challenge that enterprises always had is they end up growing like 30, 40 or more of these metadata repositories. And so these are, you know, when we say metadata repositories, you know, think is this is, this is the data that describes what the data is, um, what the data stands for, what it should do, um, what if you do something today, what should happen, you know, what are the rights around it. Um, so again, you had all of these built up, you know, big enterprises, numerous, like 30, 40, 50 more even that exist. None of these communicated with each other. So you'd have metadata that sits in one of these that's tied to one application, and you might have the same exact sort of data as like you know, an example here in the U.S. might be a social security number, right? You have a lot of line of business applications that track social security numbers. Well, the rights and management and properties and who can edit it and if somebody edits, what happens and things like that, you know, that ends up being managed separately across a lot of different systems. Um, and I'm guessing all probably all your, your people in the audience could probably say very simply, okay, well, there's some obvious efficiency issues that are going to there, but... Um, grow that further when you have things like we have um, on this side of the pond here of GDPR and you know <laughs> yeah yep yep that one, that one's coming in um, that a company's having to comply with all of this so now they're really putting a stringent on how am I managing all this so there's just all much all sorts of duplication that's happening very little sharing that's happening um, and as a result it's a huge cost on businesses um, so Ageria, which actually um, started as uh, a part of the Apache Atlas project, but then they quickly saw that the scope of how this applies is just so much bigger than uh, big data because the problem of metadata sharing, it's happened for since databases have existed. So, um, so they split off the project to help grow out the standard more. Um, but the actually Ageria project is actually still being consumed in um, by Apache Atlas. 
Um, so it's being leveraged in there, but it's also leveraged in products um, such as um, IBM's information governance catalog. Um, you know, SaaS is committed to having it as a part of their product line here in the future. And uh, we're starting to see more and more companies that are saying, yeah, this is, this is a big challenge. Like even companies that have traditionally sort of done their own metadata thing, had their own repositories, are quickly seeing that, hey, this is, this, is, this is a big challenge for us. Like why are we all trying to independently build out, you know, APIs and, you know, not, how can our customers benefit from all of these solutions federating with other? Because that's just going to make, you know, all of these solutions more sticky. Yeah, it also feels like they don't really have a choice about it because our, the customers of, the, of these big companies that produce software and data platforms, these customers, they are bound by legal obligations and just by common business sense, they want to have an edge-to-edge, end-to-end corporate spanning governance of their data repositories there. So it's been a long time coming. We've been waiting a long time for somebody to make something that's going to happen for everything. But as you said, it's not going to be, uh, let's call uh, other name, an Oracle that's going to do it for everybody because Oracle is a company that looks out for themselves, just like anybody, Teradata looks out for themselves. And there's no corporate pressure from their end to make something that makes everybody happy. So by the customers putting the question forward, things like Atlas and Nigeria have been able to grow up. Now, have you seen an acceleration in the last uh, year, two years, five years? I mean, five years ago, nobody was talking about this. Now... You're right, everybody's trying to look for something and, yeah, as a good thing, Nigeria's coming out as a, the, 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 the primary suspect, let's say, to solve this problem. Yeah, I mean, the scramble's on, uh, for sure. Um, and I, I think what we have just started to see very quickly, you know, so one of the, the big sponsors behind the development um, is ING Bank, mm-hmm. um, yep. which... Again, not one of the big tech vendors, but they deal with this problem. And, and they con- they've contributed a ton of code to the Jiri project. They have um, many, many committers on it. Um, and they're in, you know, if I take a step back and sort of look at very forward-thinking organizations that are contributing to open source, um, they sort of fit a little bit of that mold. They're trying to put a stake in their software supply chain, knowing that, hey, you know, we need to get this under control for ourselves. We have our own use cases. We don't want to sort of depend upon the vendor to solve this problem for us because we end up with sort of the state of the union we had before this. Um, and then that also, I think, you're, like to your saying, it almost also flips the power equation a little bit um, to the point where ING, you know, is saying, hey, and all of our RFPs going forward, we're going to be asking, we're asking for Egeria, and we're putting the pressure on our entire supply chain that you need to step up and do this. Um, and and so, we're, so, so I think that ends up being a really powerful thing. And it, and it also sort of speaks to um, where we see sort of the state of big data projects going forward need to be. You know, so many of these have been very much driven from a developer point of view and to a degree maybe even a product vendor point of view. Um, but they haven't ever included the customer. They haven't even included the person that's putting this solution into place. They haven't been including the people that are trying to integrate. Um, and they end up having to pick up the pieces often, which, you know, frankly, ends up costing the industry tons of money and additional R&D costs um, and decreased productivity um, because these solutions just aren't thinking of that long tail there. And, and I think... You know, if I even just take a step back of what we're trying to do with Jiria, you know, yes, the primary thing is around metadata management, um, and that's, you know, challenge to having a common solution for the enterprise. 
But the bigger problem I think we're tackling here is like, how can all constituents, you know, we just heard on stage here, I mean, you and I were just both in the keynote, you know, you know, data is like the, the new commodity just as the same as oil was, you know, decades ago and things like that. Um, I won't repeat our fun conversation around uh, the Rolling Stones song, but <laughs> maybe if we get into the outtakes there. But, you know, it's it, it ends up being so true. But, you know, how, how can that future be well molded if not everyone has a seat at the table? You know, and if you don't have an opportunity to invest and if you don't have an opportunity to get your ideas involved, maybe not even, you know, maybe you don't know the innards of the code base, but you certainly know how you're using it. Um, and I think that's sort of the model that ODPI is looking at going forward is, is, you know, how do we create, how do we be a home for projects similar to that? And Ajiri is just a great example. Yeah, I mean, one of the results of the open source revolution, if I can call, if I can still call it that, also a bit dated by now, I guess, is that customers have become a lot more expecting and a lot more demanding. Because earlier, you kind of went to the shop, bought a box and had the disk inside, you installed the disk and used the software, and that was about it. The whole open source move, on the one end, yes, it's about free software. But no, it's about having a seat at the table, as you're saying, being able to kind of yeah, dictate your terms there. So, yeah, I mean... Um, it, Linux Foundation, ODPI, where's the connection between the two? I, I kind of can imagine, but how come that the Linux Foundation found themselves the, the cold organization to do this? So, you know, the Linux Foundation always looks... So, open source is gigantic. <laughs> millions and millions of projects, um, which is a great thing, right? And, and a lot of these take time. They incubate over time. They go through ebbs and flows. You know, where we get involved is what are the technologies, in particular open source technologies, that are critical to our society to function? Like, what are the ones there that, you know, we have invested so much time in a society and these technologies aren't a flash in the pan. They need to, you know, exist past our lifetime, you know, because people are so investing in those. Um, you know, and data's a example like like i said they went right on stage here and said you know data is that new commodity right now so clearly that's something that needs to exist past our lifetime um and those are the areas we invest cloud same way web dev technologies like things like that have just become so and and even if you just take a step even back in some of the other areas we invest in automotive industry um the motion picture industry which is just a really really phenomenal one of the deep use of open source in there and and how really the revenue in that industry is so driven by um, visual effects and the helping control the R&D cost to produce, you know, better quality movies and not have to pa pass on so much cost to the consumer is just so critical to that industry succeeding. Um, and even just traditional ones like mainframe, um, you know, an industry that's been around for like 50-some years. And... I mean, we, we laugh about it, but, you know, planes would fall out of the sky. Yeah. We would not be able to transact business, all of these sort of things without it. And it's a very still important technology. And it's also one that also needs to exist for another 50 years at least. So, you know, we at the Linux Foundation, that's how we think about it. You know, if there, if there are technologies that need sustained investment that's the area that we focus in. And those are the ones we can bring the expertise of uh, driving those industries, helping, you know, work in those communities and just take lessons from things is just the Linux kernel um, and, and, you know, apply those lessons, you know, throughout. 
Yeah, great. Uh, getting back a bit to the technology here, uh, when people talk about governance, there's also the word lineage that crops up a lot of times. Um, how we say they, the two are the same or differ, and how are they being covered by Egeria or Atlas? So, yeah, I, I think they're very much sort of hooked in there. Um, you know, lineage thinking about, you know, where is my data came from? You know, what is the source? How has it changed? How has it, you know, migrated over time here? Um, and governance kind of being that overarching arc of um, what can I do with the data? Um, you know, what are the rights that I might have with it? You know, if things happen, you know, if I go change a social security number, what should happen on the back end of that? Um, and, and again, it fits all into that data privacy officer's purview of just understanding how this data morphs over time. Um, on one hand, from a regulatory standpoint of, I got to keep an eye on this because if somehow this data morphs in the wrong way um, and we get some liability, boy, that's a big problem. Um, but also on the other hand, it's, it's a way for these organizations just to better understand how their data is changing um, what are the impacts of it, um, and also how other areas in the business need to be able to leverage and potentially benefit from that. Yeah, one of the problems I always have with customers is when they say, we want data governance, my first question is, okay, what do you mean with data governance? Because <laughs> uh, everyone has kind of their own definition about it. Uh, do you see that too, or...? I mean, every term out there is so darn overloaded. Like security, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I've I get into constant conversations with folks like that. Like, we need we need data security. We need code security. And I'm okay. Well, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah. And then, and, and I think, you know, I I think that is an interesting area that now that this industry is starting to get to a more of a mature area we're thinking more and less of those terms. So we're less in sort of the bleeding edge of let's see what the limits of the technology can do. So we're less sort of thinking about the capability standpoint. But now we're like, you know, like we know this technology can do anything we want. The question is, is what do we want it to do? Um, and what do we need it to do? And how can it help be a cornerstone? How can it help solving problems for it? So we're at a really good maturity point there. Um, and, and my belief is then that's when you also see how... Um, an open source uh, project evolves and what the constituents need to be need to change because you're less focused on sort of building out. I mean, the early days of a project, you're always worried about building out the technology and, you know, kind of getting, you know, the technology to know how to write all these core innovative pieces then. But then you just need to start getting to the point of, okay, we need to get use cases of what are we trying to solve to figure out where this goes next. Um, And I think that's an area of ODPI that we've, um, put together um, a governance structure um, and practices that we can actually take advantage of that. And, and Ajiri has just been a great example. I mean, they have thrived in no time um, being under um, ODPI since just late last summer, um, getting to a 1.0 release, getting uptick in enterprise, getting customers involved in contributing. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's the name of the game for successful open source. So what's next for Nigeria? What's, what's around the corner? What's the roadmap like? So the one big thing I know that they're um, really, you know, other than just getting more uptick, um, they're really focusing um, on the data science end um, and building out a set of data science APIs. Um, so that way, you know, people are doing modeling because that's also been a big challenge for a data science, uh, for somebody just doing data science, whether in Pi or uh, Python or R. Um, yeah, have Raspberry Pis on the brain. We just had Pi Day, right? So it kind of throws everything off there. Anyways, um, you know, oftentimes those people are doing models, they're doing them very much in just sort of isolation. So they're just like, give me this data set. 
and then they're given it and that data set's already either like pre-cleaned of crap away from them um, or they're just given some sort of like special blessing and said, don't, you know, be, you know, you've been, you've been given special access to things, you know, pray we don't alter the deal farther. Um, <laughs> Sounds <laughs> ominous. Yeah. So what, what the data science APIs are meant to do is like, how can we connect these, these modern data science tools and languages so they have APIs that can leverage Ageria, so all the same benefits of understanding governance, understanding lineage, understanding access rights, things like that, that can pour into the models that they're building. Um, and it's a little bit more of a unique case than you know, just the APIs um, around BI. Um, but it really is sort of a fascinating one there. So I think that's an area that I know the project's looking to build out. So at any of you in the audience that this sounds really interesting, that project loves contributors. Um, so definitely go check them out on GitHub, github.com slash ODPI slash Ageria. Um, so that's one big angle. Um, and I think the other is just also just getting a community of practitioners together um, for just figuring out best practices. And there's already just a ton of great material that project has built out. Um, you know, they built out a really good just use case guide around this Cocoa Pharmaceuticals um, case study, which is sort of a fictional one, but just talking about how the models work together. And then just also just guides for like, if you're a data privacy officer, or if you're just not, maybe not, maybe your organization isn't that formal, but you're just, you're thinking about how do I set a strategy for managing governance, managing data within my organization. There's already just guides that have just been starting to build out there. Um, and not only just stuff for you to consume, but it's also stuff that you can contribute back to. Um, so I just encourage you to check both of those out and you know see if either one uh, scratches your itch. Yeah, we'll definitely have some links in the show notes uh, yep. for this episode. Uh, now, the data science things really speaks to me as well, because uh, often they compare data science activities with the uh, software development activities. But software development activities, you can really partition. You have your dev test and prod, and it's totally isolated from each other, no problem. While typically, the data scientist, he gets a tool and internet access and have had it. Yeah. And having no kind of control or even traceability of what they do, where they get their data from, that's one of the major reasons that I am in the data and AI space myself. That that my question, my customers ask me for, how can I do this governance edge to edge company wide? Because I don't know what my people are doing and I can't lock them down because then I really cut down their productivity and I could as well not use them. Because could as well just uh, throw them out there. But just for clarity's sake. When will I be able to go to the, I don't know, the, the, the supermarket and buy a box of Egeria? Is it ever going to happen? I mean, we, we plan not to put it in cereal boxes. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I don't know if we have a retail strategy per se. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, the project itself, I mean, it's mature. And you can actually, the nice thing about Egeria is even if you already have a lot of these metadata repositories internally... Um, it's sort of designed that you can almost just like slap it on as a middleware layer on top of that. Um, so you can just almost retrofit a bunch of legacy stuff you have internally. So you don't even have to, this is the best part, you don't even need to wait for your vendors to get compatibility. I mean, you can force your vendors to, and we're not going to stop you if you do. But you can also retrofit already parts of your organization um, you know, that might have legacy tools or homegrown tools that you've built up um, to leverage as well. Um, and it even provides a really nice opportunity for you know, consultancies and other businesses to grow up that just do a lot of that activity. Which is fair to say that there will always be a certain amount of 
uh, not build yourself, but at least fit yourself, integrate yourself. Because even if the vendors have their product Ijira certified, let's call it that for now, mm-hmm. you will still need to do some in-house work to make it all fit your company strategy and your organization, your environment. Yes, yes, and and it's called a Jiria conformant, by the way. Uh, <laughs> we we we're big on terminology here. No, but you're exactly right. I mean, in the end of the day, um, the multiple the, the multiple strategies on how one consume can consume Jiria is by design. You know, so you can just say I'm going to build something that adheres to the APIs. Um, I'm using, you know, Ageria, you know, full scale, sort of a piece of middleware, um, or I'm getting a product that already has it built in. Um, either way, you know, any of the strategy ways you happen to take that, um, you are benefiting from the ecosystem right away by 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 building a solution that using any of those methodologies becomes conformant. Um, you tap into one API for getting at metadata and federating of anything else that's Ageria conformant. So any other Ageria conformant products, anything that you build using Ageria, anything that you're using Ageria's middleware, anywhere that you're using the um, APIs defined by Ageria and kind of writing all the back end your own, all that becomes federated. So you query one metadata repository, and if it can't find it, it goes, fi- it goes and finds that metadata in anything else that's conformant. Um, that just really has not existed in this space ever. Okay, great. Anything else you want to add? Last words? Um, I will. I, I will say it is also very sunny here. Um, it's kind of hot sitting next to the window here, which is great. Although if we'd walk outside, we'd be freezing. Uh, but no, I mean this is a great conference. I was just really excited just to see um, what's going on with the new Cloudera. Um, got a new logo today, which I think is pretty cool. Um, really nice to see a lot of the messaging and really the driving and commitment towards open source. Um, I think it's going to be fabulous for this industry here, and uh, you know we're excited to uh, you know be a part of that. Okay, well thanks for uh, talking to us, and I'll be sure to uh, attend your session this afternoon. Because I think it's this afternoon, not next. It is this afternoon, yes. yes. On Nigeria and everything. So uh, when people hear this, it's going to be too late. But we will have a recap uh, episode of of The Roaring Elephant after this summit as well. So we'll talk about that session in detail there as well. And we hope you'll be back on the show later. I certainly will. I, now that I'm a, a regular guest here, now now I have to be. So, But thank you so much. It's great catching up with you. And finally, we meet in person. So for someone who's been a regular guest, this is the first never time we have, we've never seen each other. Um, so I feel like that's an achievement unlocked of itself. It's great to see you. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks. Thank you, John Murtick. Uh I hope, uh, Dave, you found that very interesting. I did. I did. And it's always a pleasure <laughs> to, uh, to hear, hear John. And uh, it sounds like we'll, uh, we'll have him back for uh, a full session at some point in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, definitely will. And uh, I can even say I met John Murtick, the one and only John Murtick. So I shook his hand. <laughs> which was uh, as we said during the interview i mean we've, we've had him on the show for fourth this is his fifth appearance i think that's why i call yeah. him a regular but we never had actually seen each other so it's, kind of, it's always fun to see people after you had a lot of a whole mental image of who they are and yeah, yeah. yeah. but it was a, it was a fun it was a fun little talk and i hope it's interesting for the listeners as well but uh, going back to our regular programming now about these sessions um maybe before we Dig into a couple of the ones that jumped out to me. I would like to give a bit of a gen- generic 
uh, how do you call that uh, appreciation, generic uh, idea around the overview. whole thing, overview, summarization, let's say, where I I'm not going to say I'm disappointed. I mean, it was a fun event, and I'm happy I was here. I would have missed it if I hadn't been here, and uh, I really pity other people who weren't here. Um, but the it was not as good as the earlier years, and the reason behind that, I think, uh, I can't know, is that I, I believe a lot of the development has has been hindered by the whole merger thing that went on between mm. the two companies. I mean, there has been uncertainty, there has been changes, people have gotten different jobs, and except for the announcement of Cloudera Data Platform without much substance, there was really nothing really new. I mean, last year, we talked in the preview uh, episode, we had the whole um, Hive uh, OLAP data warehousing thing. The year before that, we had the whole uh, Atlas and IBM doing a lot with the Atlas Nigeria thing. So it was always kind of a technology subject let's say this mm-hmm. year apart from that announcement there really wasn't anything new so uh, you, also, you also felt that in the sessions where people were more or less rehashing stuff they had already done earlier with a couple of uh, point improvements here and there so that's also why I think I'm going to be reasonably fast on the sessions I attended because um, purely on the, if you hadn't been to those sessions yet, if you have never heard of those projects yet, of course, that was totally new and interesting for you. But if you have been listening to this podcast uh, for as long as we've been making it, uh, I pity yep. the poor soul. <laughs> 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 uh, there wasn't really much, and I'm not going to rehash everything in this episode, because either we do a full episode on the subject and give you the full information, or we just shut up about it, right? Yeah, Indeed. So what, what were your highlights then? What were your highlight uh, sessions? Highlights, one I want to talk about is the Audi session. Uh, in the previous mm-hmm. sort of talk, I said I was going to spend time at that one because they actually have a, uh, it wasn't Audi production, it was the Audi business subsidiary, which is apparently somewhat separate from the full Audi company, but uh, no more details there. Uh, mm-hmm. They were talking about how they did their deployment on uh, AWS on the Amazon cloud. Now, I sit in the Azure cloud, but I'm always very interested to see how, how other people do this and how I can, I can do it better. So I really wanted to uh, attend that one to see how they did it. And they actually were pretty detailed. So uh, I don't think these were videotaped, but they were recorded. So if this one goes online, I, if you're thinking about doing something like this in a big company, you do yourself a favor and listen to this one because they were quite open to a certain extent, of course, about what they did and why they did it uh, on that particular cloud. And mm-hmm. it was uh, very interesting, actually, that they talked about real the products they were using, uh, how they're doing their DevOps, uh, using Terraform, uh, why they make choices for Ansible and not for something else. And one thing that came to the, to the, to the top there was oh, a lot of the time that when they made a choice for a product, they mm. chose the thing they knew because they had people yeah. that were working on it in other parts of the company and it is a lot easier to just reuse what they have learned and have that in-house knowledge than to say, yeah. I'm going to invent the wheel again. So it's not a particularly new message, I guess, but yeah. uh, that really came to the forefront that they reused what they knew. And looking at it, hearing it and evaluating it as the god of everything that I obviously am not, it also was, I think, a little bit uh, to their, their detriment because they mm. really went for an IaaS lift and shift kind of approach because in the whole architecture, they did not use a single SaaS or PaaS product of that public cloud. 
even their um, uh, security, their user management, they actually spun up a free IPA server to do the gener generic user management. and had MIT Kerberos for every Hadoop cluster they were running with trust between those two without having any other kind of connectivity. They did say, okay, Active Directory connections is on the roadmap to happen, but they were waiting on something else within Audi that does a company-wide spanning uh, identity management system, and they didn't want to wait for that to happen. And so they just built it on IaaS. And that kind of went through the whole architecture where they were just actually spinning up servers in the cloud and building it on there. Mm. Which, um, I mean, yeah, of course, as a first step, that might be the way to go. But if you go into a cloud, lift and shift, if, I mean, it can be a very bad. expensive way. It's, it can be a very expensive way to, to do it. It's and not also optimal. You're, you're, not, you're not taking advantages of some of the... Oh, some of the major advantages of, of cloud if you just do infrastructure as a service. You know, the, there yeah. are a lot of benefits to using cloud-native services. That's why they exist. Exactly. And I also felt that their main reason, I mean, they gave a couple of reasons why they went to cloud. And the, uh, for mm. me, I think the main reason was the data center was full and it took too long to get stuff done there. So we kind of went to a cloud. Well, it, no. Okay. Hey, it worked for them. They're yep. doing it, and it's working well for them. They're having fun with it. Um, I'm just going through my little notes here, but uh, lessons learned, perhaps. Uh, if you go to it, and that was more lessons learned of doing Hadoop in a cloud, uh, not yeah. just lessons learned Hadoop, but Hadoop in a cloud. Uh, you can do everything you want in the cloud, but you have to do it yourself. <laughs> you can't uh, lean back on IT to do all of the boring stuff. No, you have to do all yourself. You want to go to the yeah. cloud? Have fun with it. <laughs> Just a bit of a well, bad thing because you should have IT on your uh, on your yeah. side when you go into the cloud. To be honest, but this felt yeah. a lot like a, a, I'm not going to say a research project that went too far, but uh, they did do a lot themselves for those reasons because IT really wasn't yeah involved with this. IT was not necessarily as on board as you might have expected. <laughs> Other lessons learned, automation pays off even if, in the, if the initial investment is required. Obviously, we've been talking about that too. If you're going to cloud, if yeah. you're going to a big data cluster, wherever you do it, automate, 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 because people are your weakest link. Sorry, people. Yep. It's just uh, the way. Yes, true. people are fallible. Uh, anything else? Uh, they needed to be responsible and self-enforce security uh, because on-prem wasn't looking over their shoulder. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here. This is not how they put it on their uh, slide, yeah. by the way. Uh, and the thing there was, again, they went to the cloud. They didn't have IT looking over their shoulder, but they did decide to start a security and then build up the stuff. I mean, that's what we also uh, say every time we talk about uh, deploying clusters like this. Don't do it unsecured and think I'll do secure Definitely. later and yep. start secure. So that's also something they stress there. Secure, uh, consider security from uh, the start. I've got no in my notes here between brackets, guess who they've been listening to? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is the message that we preach. So that's good news. Yeah. They also talked about the, the way that teams work with Agile and stuff like that, but that's uh, organizational. I'm not going to spend time on that. But mm -hmm. it's, it's a good, a big company, big deployment, talking about doing a hybrid approach to Hadoop in the cloud and on-premise and how that worked. And uh, I think they were for a car manufacturer. I mean, last year, BMW had a nice session that was also quite open. This year, mm -hmm. uh, Audi is kind of, uh, uh, how do you call that, uh, hopping over there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. performance so let's see we get who we get next year Mercedes I don't know <laughs> maybe maybe yeah it could be 
Um, let's see other sessions I went to. Uh, one session I'm going to mention in a negative way, so I'm not going to say who it is or what it was, but people, there's a lot of sessions going on at every given time. If there's a 50-minute mm-hmm. block and you stop a session after nine minutes, that is wow. not good. That is not acceptable. So, person, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. This is bad. A lot of people yeah. paid a lot of money to be there. We want more than nine minutes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> on a lighter note. I mean, yeah. On a, on a lighter note, what was your next favorite session? Uh, what I was looking forward to, uh, I skipped a few here, is the federated learning one. Uh, on the preview show, I told you I was going to go to this one because it, it sounded like magic, being able to train mm-hmm. your models without having access to data. Yeah. And as always, it wasn't that simple, but it was something I hadn't heard about, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, five minutes yeah. at least. And the idea behind this is that um, we all do federated learning. I can't even say it. How stupid can I be? Federated learning, we all do it already. You do it. I do it on your phone. Because the idea for federated learning is, for some reasons, you have data on edge devices, which you, for privacy reasons, you can't move to a central location or it's just too expensive. Uh, If you start moving a lot of data from your phone to somewhere else, that drains your battery very quickly. So it sometimes makes sense to train the model on the edge device. But then, of course, you don't have enough data to have a good model. It's going to be very biased data because it's just going to have your behavior, your your way of doing this stuff. So that just won't give you a good, good enough model. And what federated mo- learning does is instead of putting the data together, you train partial models on a lot of devices and then mm-hmm. move the, 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 the weights that the models have trained to a central location kind of average those in a certain algorithmic way and have a better yeah. model at the end. Now, this should not work. This sounds like a terrible idea. But, yeah. and this was a talk by Cladera's Fast Forward Labs, and they have a white paper yeah. out of this as well. Uh, it has been proven, shown, that it actually works pretty well. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, I've got a feeling that they really don't understand why. <laughs> They're still looking into that. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's what federated learning does. Now, there were a couple of caveats there because the privacy thing, federated learning will not solve your privacy problem because the weights in the models which you share can be reverse engineered, uh, refactored to still find out some stuff. And he had some examples on the board there where it actually showed that they can do a lot with just those resulting models, let's say. Uh, But uh, for things like... um, text, uh, when you're typing an SMS on your, on your phone or a, t- or, or a chat or something like that, the way it's, it, it suggests the next word you're going to type, yeah. those things were ne- would never have been able to be trained if they wanted to have a corpus centrally. The only way that that yeah. works better every single day is because they have that, this kind of approach happening there. So it uh, it was fun, and the uh, thing the reason I had to talk about it now is that this has become uh, not the standard way of doing this, but has become commoditized. Let's say so you have something mm-hmm. called TensorFlow Federated. It's a beta a beta thing. It's not really production ready, but it's just a library you can use to make this work. Uh, PyTorch also has something called PySift. That's just kind of the same thing. They actually call it uh, PySift for privacy preserving learning, but still little caveat there because it's not fully there. 
But apparently for the lesser gods amongst the uh, AI and machine learning community, uh, things like federated learning become something that's actually quite uh, feasible, usable, and uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> very nice. Very so nice. Well, a, learn something new. Yeah, that was a good one. I mean, uh, that was uh, one of the, the highlights, let's say. Uh, another thing, oh yeah, I can't pass over the Hive 3 session I went to. What's new in Hive 3 was the name of the session. As I said in my general remarks, there wasn't that much new. It was more rehashing LLAP, materialized view, asset version 2, uh, optimization for cloud storage. Because, of course, since CDP is going to be cloud first, they need to do stuff like that. But none of those things are earth-shattering. The one thing I did note was that uh, with uh, uh, Hive 3 on HTTP 3, because of course CDH doesn't have the recent Hives, CDP should, I guess. But with mm-hmm. the new Hive 3, all your tables, you do create tables in Hive, it's an asset table by default. Wow. And nice. the reason they can do that is because performance testing has now shown that asset no longer has any kind of performance hit. Brilliant. Which is, that's uh, great news. Yeah, that's great news because that really the whole asset thing. It's been it's it's been what five years that they're trying to build this. Yeah, I'd yeah. say they're there. And the other thing that was uh, kind of interesting is uh, virtual tables that actually uh, have their data stored in other databases, like a Postgres database, for example, or an Oracle database, with the possibility of doing predicate push down towards that other database if Hive can detect that that database can do whatever you're asking it to do. Yeah. Which is kind of in the, uh, an extra step higher up onto, onto the ladder of having virtual tables and having a, uh, I guess, data virtualization layer, if I can abuse that uh, oft abused <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. word already. But uh, apparently that also gets easier just how you create your table. Say it's in a Postgres database, that's where a Postgres, uh, Postgres database your IP address is, that's the table I want, make it so, and it just happens. Last thing in that one was talking about DAS, the uh, data analysis service, if I'm not mistaken. I wrote mm-hmm. it down, uh, which is basically replacing Hive and Test Views from Ambari, mm-hmm. which makes me fear that things are happening on the Ambari front, but we'll see. <laughs> Nothing yeah. uh, definite there. Uh, but it kind of looked like a nice interface. Uh, I mean, if you're a, if you're a Microsoft customer, you have SMS where you can do all your stuff into it. This is something in that vein where you can type your SQL, has command completion, help included. It also has the visualizations of your queries, your DAGs, your test di- um, directed SQL graphs. Uh, it also has the uh, fun thing where you can actually have a, a query that ran twice with a different timing. Uh, you can put them next to each other and compare them and see why it was different. Oh, because this was disabled at that time and at uh, the point in time. So a, a, a nice productivity tool, let's say, uh, which is going to be part of the uh, higher level uh, CDP uh, uh, distribution as well in the end when the new stuff comes out. Whether this is going to be free or paid for, we don't know at this time, but uh, considering it's coming from the Hortonworks part of the uh, distributions, I would expect it to stay free, but we'll see. But uh, yeah, so Hive, interesting, not that much earth-shaking news, but uh, it's still going ahead very nicely. And uh, it really also confirms for me that the new CDP will not be Impala only. Uh, It really feels like Hive will be a big part of uh, the new CDP, which is good news, I think. Because whatever somebody says, Impala and Hive, they are complementary. They are not one or the other. 
moving on, yeah, after that, I also went to a, uh, a talk about Druid and Hive together, which was both good and bad, because on the one hand, a lot of information, but a lot of information more on a, te- on a theoretical uh, level, I'd say, a lot of uh, technology talk, but not applicable talk. So it really didn't help me much in because I'm still looking for ways to actually use Druid in everyday life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody, everybody needs a bit of Druid in his everyday life. But uh, I was hoping to have a little bit more use cases here, but it still was very much on a, a technology level. Uh, but uh, there as well, incremental inter- uh, incremental improvements, let's say, making it easier to work. Uh, the one thing that I took away from this, the, the, this was at, at a certain point, the person there said that the, the main thing that Hive brings to this whole story is that it makes Druid easier to use. Because yep. typically Druid, you have to talk JSON to it. It doesn't talk SQL. It doesn't do any security at the moment. And we're having having Hive there as a kind of parent above it. Hive will do the security for you because that's Rangerized or Sentry, Sentry Iced, I guess, soon. I don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, so security is covered by a Hive. And you can just send that SQL and the um, uh, CalSite, sorry, I was forgetting yep. the name. The CalSite optimizer will just make sure that whatever Druid can do will go to Druid. What Druid can't do will stay in Hive Server 2 and it'll all work out. And basically, you, as long as you have all of the components running on of your Druid cluster in your environment, it, it'll just figure itself out, which is yeah, a good thing, That's I guess. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, God, how, how is our time? How far are we in now? Oh, God, we, we're over an hour already. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off here. I'm just gonna do one last shout out for the last session of the day. Mm-hmm. Tim Span talking about Apache Wi-Fi. Always a joy, even if a 50 minute session with Tim takes an hour and a half. <laughs> nobody left the room, so <laughs> nobody wanted him to stop. Um, he's very fond of Wi-Fi, as we all know. He's also very fond of MXNet because uh, he's done a lot of stuff. I mean, his talk was primarily uh, uh, about open source only. So he's a Cloudera mm-hmm. employee, but his talk was about no Cloudera, no data science workbench, only open source Apache stuff. And then building a whole thing with uh, image recognition and whatever. I mean, uh, he has a lot of uh, blogs on the on the internet. We often refer to them in our news episodes. We have links in yeah. our show notes as well. So there's plenty of, there, of him to find there. Uh, this is one session, by the way, if it's only going to be voice recorded, uh, it won't help you much because a lot of information is on the slides. And he is one person who does not read his slides. He talks about something else and the other stuff is on the slides. So you need kind of both parts there. Uh, but apparently MXNet, which is the Apache um, Deep Learning Network, um, he was very proud of the fact that uh, MXNet is now faster than TensorFlow. If you're doing wow. stuff with Keras, Keras can is an abstraction level higher on top, and you can tell Keras, I want you to build whatever I want you to build in TensorFlow or in MXNet. In his last few tests, when he did two and did the both and then compared them, MXNet uh, all um, invariably apparently was faster than the TensorFlow part. So... Um, Kudos for open source, I guess. <laughs> Very much so. That's great news. I mean, as always, competition breeds innovation exactly. and speed in this case. Exactly. And if this gets faster, then uh, Google, who is still the boss of uh, TensorFlow, I guess, they'll have to uh, nudge their stuff up uh, one, uh, one crank higher. And uh, then MXNet can go back into the fight and uh, we'll get a better the stuff in continues. the end. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. It's great news. So, so yeah, were, there any, were there any sort of good sort of audience questions in some of the sessions? Um, 
not that much again because most of the things that talked about were incremental changes there weren't really mm-hmm. any earth-shattering things so there were some questions that came from people i mean a person uh, when i was doing the druid uh, when i was a druid talk came to the mic and said yeah i, I just discovered druid yesterday i have a question <laughs> <laughs> yeah obviously <laughs> so there were a lot of que- a lot of options like that uh tim had a lot of questions that's why he ran late of course so a lot of questions of course he has a very practical approach on what, about what he's talking about so people are actually fr- very uh at ease asking me questions i'm trying to do this what's your view on how should how should i do this and yeah that, that just helps of course and um but apart from that not that many questions to be honest and i, I do we have said this before that it's good to go to these conferences because on the one hand you can have the recordings after the fact but you can't get the questions because those usually don't get recorded or get cut off yeah, from the they recordings get cut off yeah um yeah one maybe one of the reasons that i think this year was a little bit less than the other years was that there was not that much um uh, audience participation if i can call it that mm. maybe it's just the sessions i've, I've seen because i did only a sixth of the sessions there were six tracks going simultaneously and i'm notoriously bad in choosing sessions <laughs> <laughs> so it could just be me you might have a totally different experience but uh i'm not going to talk about stuff somebody else has done right indeed indeed Whew. so yeah it's been uh, a busy week been here in sunny Barcelona for a week, going home tomorrow. Any sort of final thoughts on the event as a whole? Um, I was very happy to be here, very happy to see all the people again, everybody who said hi to me and uh, I said hi to hi again. If you saw me and I didn't see you, I'm sorry, there were a lot of people there. <laughs> um, I didn't wear my yellow fleece this year uh, because it was just too hot in here. Yeah. And those fleeces yeah. are a bit warm, so that didn't happen. Uh, the one parting thought I have is a bit of a sad one, and it is uh, I am very doubtful if we will have a DataWorks Summit in this size, in this shape and form next year. Yeah. It did feel a bit like they will reinvent themselves, do something new, which I understand because DataWorks Summit, even though they tried to hide it, was a Hortonworks thing. Um, things have changed. Uh, I do have a picture of one big standard banner where it says Hortonworks, proud sponsor of DataWorks Summit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that one got snuck in by somebody, but I've got, yeah. it, on, I've got it on film, so it happened. Um, Phil, but I really? do, be- <laughs> but I do believe that next year we'll see a different, uh, different format, different, different format, different shape, and uh, we'll see uh, we'll see how that uh, works out. Of course, in a couple of months in the summer there'll be the uh, Washington uh, DC uh, yep. uh, Data Summit. That one's still planned, and uh, for people that are on that side of the Atlantic, uh, if you have a chance to go there. There's a lot worse places to be. I'm very happy I was Indeed. here. Indeed. And if you if you want to be our our roving reporter from uh, from that one, then get in touch. Yes, because typically I won't go there because it's nine hours in the plane. I hate. <laughs> <laughs> and I um, will not be going there this year, again, for reasons that will become clearer on a later episode. But for now, anything else that you'd want to uh, mention? Um, nope, I think I've done enough damage for a day. 
in that case we will uh, we will let Jon uh, vanish off into the night as of course he's uh, recording this at the end of already a very long day so thank you roving reporter Jon we appreciate your efforts as always yeah am I keeping my now job back or to the studio <laughs> <laughs> well back to the studio and that is all the time you have for today uh, we hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized on-site semi-live big data yep. we will be back next week with a new episode uh, it will also be DataWorks Summit related I can tell you but you'll have to wait until then to find out exactly how until then please go to www.roaringelephant.org you can find more information including a feedback form you can also file follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org send us any thoughts comments criticisms and other feedback you may have until next time, my name is uh, Roving Reporter Jon. And my name is back at the studio, Dave. <laughs> and we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. Bye.